The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So very recently, I've spent a lot of time thinking about um, this web of relationships that God blessed me to have and the close community that I've shared with some of my best friends since the time that we were in college. And I know that some of you um, have those kinds of relationships and I've talked about them before, but I I went to a small private Christian school out in West Texas called Abilene Christian University. Go Cats. There you go. And so if you went to a big school, like if you went to UT or A&M, those places, yeah, I'll always get that. Um, you don't know what it's like to go to a small college where nobody lives because you had fun provided for you Um, We had to make our own fun. And so I have this very clear memory of my sophomore year in college, sitting around the dorm late at night, me and these five other guys who when we were sophomores, we decided that every Thursday night that we would get together and we would just talk about life and we would pray together. And we did that not because we were super spiritual giants, but because when you're at a Christian school, that's what you do to prove to other people that you're more spiritual than they are. And so we did that, but this was a Friday night and we didn't have anything to do. Um, And it was either let's figure out where we can go and meet some girls or go and do something stupid. And so we had a lot more stupid than we had ability to meet girls. So we decided to go and do something stupid. And one of us remembered that they had heard someone else talk about this old decommissioned bridge out in this town past Abilene called Albany. And I can't remember who said it, but one of us had the bright idea, hey, let's go jump off that bridge. And the rest of us, being 20, being male, and being stupid, I didn't have to say the stupid part because you got that with being 20 and being male, (laughs) decided, yeah, let's go. And so we were at a Christian school and it was getting close to curfew and we had to sign out. And so you don't know about that if you didn't go to school like this, but if you weren't gonna be back in time for curfew, you had to sign out. But in the boys' dorm, they never really cared about any of that because boys can't get pregnant and there was a huge double standard. But anyway, that's beside the point. (laughs) And so a friend of mine signed out to like Tijuana, another sign, I signed out to Atlanta, and we just left to go find this old abandoned bridge out in Albany. So we hopped in two cars and we left and went out there. And sure enough, it didn't take a whole lot of time. We finally found our way to this old bridge and we climbed up to the top of it. Now it was a completely moonless night. It was pitch black. And so we knew that the bridge was there. What we didn't know was whether or not there was any water under the bridge. People had told us that it was deep enough that you could jump into. And so one of us, I can't remember who, decided, okay, I'm gonna jump. And he gets to the edge and he jumps in and the rest of us listen. (laughs) And we heard a splash and we didn't hear any screaming. So we decided, hey, we can all jump in. 
Do you remember when your mother used to say, if all of your friends jumped off a bridge, would you jump off it too? The answer, apparently, is yes. So one after the other, we jump into this water from this bridge, and it was awesome. Only now we have a problem, because we start looking around trying to get out of this water, and all of the banks are just covered with thorn bushes and briars. And what I didn't tell you is that when we decided to leave the dorm and go find this old abandoned bridge, we just got up and left. We didn't make any preparation at all. So when we got to the top of the bridge, it's not like we had any like swimsuits or anything. So we did what you would expect 20-something boys who are stupid to do. We jumped in bare-skinned. And now we have to get out of this water with all of these bushes and briars everywhere. And I notice that there is this long metal pipe that's kind of sticking out of the water and that if you could shimmy up just right, you could avoid all of that and make it to safe ground. But we've got a problem is that now we're wet and our feet are muddy. And so the first one goes up the pipe and he makes it and then another one. And then it's my turn and I'm, I'm going very gingerly up this pipe and then I slip and my left foot falls off to the left side of the pipe. And my right foot did not fall off the left side of the pipe. <laughs> I don't want to get too graphic or anything, but I have two daughters and I am so thankful <laughs> that I have two daughters. So after that little misadventure, you would think that we would just go back to the dorm and get on with life. But I remind you, we were 20 and male. And so we're leaving Albany and like a lot of West Texas towns that aren't very big, right in the middle of town, there is an enormous courthouse. Like a lot of small Texas towns. But this courthouse has about a thousand floodlights just right on top of it. And I'm in one car with some of my friends, and there's another car right ahead of us, and the car in front stops. And my friend Sean gets out of the car and starts running toward the front of the Albany courthouse. And as he's running, he begins to take off all of his clothes. And we look at that and think, okay. Do you remember when your mom asked you if all of your friends took off their clothes and ran around the Albany courthouse, would you do it too? The answer is apparently yes. And so there are the six of us 
just running around for no reason at all. The Albany Courthouse, naked because there's nothing else to do. And I, don't, I really don't know what we thought. Like, if police officer would have showed up, if somebody would have been driving through town, it was just late in small West Texas city, and we guess we figured that nothing bad could happen. But this is the kind of thing that me and my friends did all the time. Like, we just did those kind of weird, no reason kinds of stuff all the time, to the point now that when I share these stories with my children and I remind them, that 20-year-old male is probably the dumbest creature on the face of the planet. They look at me and they say, Dad, you and your friends did the stupidest stuff in the world. And I say, yes, and I love them for it. Because we did all of that stuff together for all of those years, for over 20 years now, the five of them, they have been for me the most important people outside of my immediate family. They are my community. And it's not just because we shared things years ago. It's because we have walked through all of life together. We have been through infertility together and cancer. We've been through divorce together, the death of siblings. Recently, we have been through anxiety and anxiety meds and depression. Just two weeks ago, I was in College Station because my closest friend in that group, the man for whom I was his best man at his wedding, he was the best man in my wedding. His father died after a long bout of cancer. And there is no part of our lives that is conceivable to do without one another. To the, to the point that Friday night, another friend in our group, his wife was rushed to the hospital. They thought that she was having a stroke. And as the paramedics were loading her into the ambulance, he texted us to pray for him. And the rest of us pray. And not only that, the ones who were in town that live in the same city where he lives, they respond and say, I'm on my way. And that group of people have been the best blessing of my life outside of my family. And my bet, my guess is that for you, deep down, maybe even in places that you don't talk about very often, what you desire most in life are a group of people who will come around and live life with you, to be with you in every circumstance. That what you really want and desire in life is community. 
But because for us, there is not a single part of our lives that the other five don't have complete access to, which our wives both love and hate. Because we all know everything, all the time. And it's interesting, we live in a time where more and more Americans are reporting feelings of isolation and loneliness, that we feel that we have been abandoned by our community, that we have just been left to get through life on our own, to figure it out on our own. And yes, there are plenty of us who have someone to call in the middle of a crisis, but we feel like we have to be in a crisis in order to have someone to call. And social media doesn't help. There is a profound lack of community brought on by a whole number of factors. More Americans than ever are polling saying that they feel like they are alone. Most people don't make a new friend, a new close friend after the age of 30. And if you haven't been around a long time, you probably think that's normal because your friends are reporting the same thing to you, but that's not normal. The design of your life, the way that you were created, you were created to live in community. And one of the things I want to suggest to you is that one of the reasons that you feel like there's no one who really cares, one of the reasons that it feels to you that when people ask how you're doing, that they're not really asking how you're doing, one of the reasons that you feel isolated and alone is because we have developed in the course of time and in our culture a resistance to bear and share our brokenness. And the core of community is bearing and sharing brokenness. And one of our guides who is helpful to us in entering into community is a man I want to introduce you to. His name is Jean Vanier. And Jean Vanier is a Canadian who just died this last May, who joined the British Army to fight in World War II when he was 13 years old. And he says that when he was in the Army, that he became a technician of destruction. That that's what he learned in the army because that's what the army is designed to teach you. But along his path, he said that Jesus called to him, came to him and gave him a different path to be on, which is the path of peace. And Jean Vanier discovered that the way human beings, the way that we're designed to enter into and to live in community is through the path of brokenness. So later in his life, after the war, in 1964, Vanier heard of mentally and physically disabled men and women who had essentially been abandoned to institutions. That no one was caring for them, no one was coming to visit them. And he decided that he would find two of them and invite them to come live with him and that he would take care of it. And though he didn't know it at the time, that was the beginning of these communities that spread around the world called L'Arche, 
where mentally and physically disabled people lived alongside their caregivers and caregivers offered them spiritual care, but also bathed them and fed them and read to them. And they considered in those communities that the disabled, that the disabled were the teachers. And what Vanier discovered is it's through the path of brokenness, the bearing and sharing of our own brokenness that we form community. This is what he says in his book, From Brokenness to Community. He says, community is a wonderful place. <clears throat> and and <clears throat> don't gloss over that because that's one of those words <clears throat> in the English language that we forget. He says it's wonderful. It's filled with wonder. Community is a wonderful place. It is life-giving, but it is also a place of pain because it is a place of truth and of growth, the revelation of our pride, our fear, and our brokenness. What Vanier is saying is that we all intuit this sense, this need, this desire to be in community, but when we find it, when it presents itself, we probably won't like it <clears throat> because it is a place of truth. It brings up, it surfaces our own brokenness. And because community brings up our own brokenness, you know what we do when we see community and we are invited into community? We lie. We lie about who we are and what we've accomplished and what's important. We tell people what's big about us. And this is so obvious, but we, we skip right over it. In community, a real person cannot be in a genuine relationship with a fake you. The reason that so many of us feel isolated, feel alone, is because we actually are isolated and alone, because we have failed to offer our genuine selves to other people. We have resisted bearing and sharing community. And we, we live in a time where friendship, well, friendship is a click on a mouse on a website. And sometimes community doesn't mean a whole lot more than that. We are people for whom most of our relationships are rooted in fake news about us. About puffing ourselves up, about showing our highlight reel to the world. I mean, most of us would never have dated anyone if we had to tell them the truth about us. Like, isn't that part of marriage? Like the never ending lifelong journey to actually discover the truth about this person? <laughs> that we hide the grittier parts? It's all about my accomplishments, my interests. I'm thinking about this because it's so <clears throat> plain and obvious for what we experience all the time. Like, <clears throat> even in this community, one of the people that I'm closest to, our, our very first conversation, we got together for coffee or lunch, I can't remember, and we sat down and I was thinking that we were just going to talk about all the stuff that people talk to pastors about because I've been a pastor for 22 years now and I have been lied to for 22 years that I always get the best representation of everybody all the time. Yes, pastor, I pray all night and all day. I have given millions of dollars on my $17,000 income every year. 
And in this conversation, he said, I want you to know what the last few years have been like for me. And it was a catalog of places where he felt like he had fallen short and wasn't who he wanted to be. And in that moment, I thought, sold. Like, I can be in a relationship with someone who starts in their own brokenness, acknowledging that we're all broken people. Relationships grow from self-revelation of the truth and never by lies and deceit, never by pretense. As a matter of fact, for all of your relationships, the level of sickness in your relationships corresponds to the level of secrets in your relationship. And the sooner and the deeper you begin to offer your genuine self to other people, there you will find healing and growth and deepening. And you've experienced this for yourself. What do you do when someone shares something genuine and vulnerable about themselves with you? Like, doesn't your heart open and expand? Don't you become more gracious, more generous, more open? And what kind of person would you be if you didn't? If you used it for fodder, for vengeance later, or a file in the back of your mind to bring up just at the right time? What kind of person would you be? Brokenness and vulnerability expand who we are and our capability to be with others. This is what Vanier says in Community and Growth. He says, it's only when we stand up with all of our failings and sufferings and try to support others rather than withdraw into ourselves that we can fully live the life of community. Only when we expose our failings and sufferings. So, so what if, what if the reason that you are not experiencing the level of connection and relationship that you want isn't because no one's interested in you or that you're just so special and unique in the world and nobody understands you or all those people are just jealous of you because you are so good looking and smart and they just can't stand to be around you. What if it's not any of that? What if the reason that we don't experience the connection and the deepening of relationships that we desire, what if it's because we are resistant to sharing ourselves, to sharing our sufferings? So in the early days of the church, when the apostles were gathering people and starting to meet in homes after the ascension of Jesus, they had a particular way that they moved about life. And Luke describes it in Acts 2. This is what he says. 
The community continually committed themselves to learning what the apostles taught them. Gathering for fellowship, breaking bread, and praying, everyone felt a sense of awe because the apostles were doing so many signs and wonders among them. There was an intense sense of togetherness among all who believed. They shared all of their material possessions in trust. They sold any possessions and goods that did not benefit the community and used the money to help everyone in need. They were unified as they worshiped at the temple day after day. In homes, they broke bread and shared meals with glad and generous hearts. So Luke says there was an intense sense of togetherness. And why? Because they held all of their possessions, they shared all of their possessions together. Now, I know that no one wants to hear that the path to community is sharing all of your possessions with other people, because I know of no one who wants to share all of their possessions with other people. Most of us don't want to pick up the lunch ticket. But if you're worried about sharing all of your possessions, what Luke's talking about is way worse than that. Because when you share your possessions, you share everything. Because all of your pathologies, all of your idols, all of your brokenness eventually shows up in your bank account. So we were living in California. I was on staff with a woman who for a period of time in her ministry, she and her husband lived in community with several other families and they shared all of their possessions in kind. And I asked her, um, what was that like? She said it was awful. <laughs> because when you're sharing everything, everything becomes exposed. It's jumping off a bridge. Why are you taking your son, your daughter to the doctor again? just because they have a fever. I wouldn't take my kid to the doctor if they had a fever that high or that low because we're all paying for that. Like, why are you paying for therapy? What's wrong with you that you're paying for that? If they, if, if they thought that you were adding a little bit too much weight too fast, well, how much are we spending on food? Are we buying the right kind of stuff? When you share your possessions, you are exposed. And one of the things that Luke is getting at in Acts 2 is that when this community starts, this community begins, everybody knew everything. And they met daily and they shared their very lives. And that's what community is. Community is inviting other people into every aspect of your life. But it's just a couple chapters later that Luke says, these women, these men who were living in this way, they turned the world upside down. Later on, as the church begins to grow, the apostle Paul talks about it this way in Galatians 6. He says, shoulder each other's burdens and then you will live as the law of the anointed teaches us. 
Don't take this opportunity to think you are better than those who slip because you aren't. Then you become the fool and deceive even yourself. At the heart of Christian community, of Jesus-shaped community, is this call to shoulder one another's burdens. And we lose this because we speak English and we're Americans and we don't know that when we open our Bibles and we read the word you, that that's not about you. Most of those yous are plural, that the scriptures aren't written to people, they are written to a community of people. And no one who ever penned a word in the scripture was thinking about an individual person with an individual walk with God, having their own faith journey. That is just foreign to the New Testament. That we can't be who God called us to be outside of being it in community. And this is what I want you to hear, that your life will be a shallow jump from relationship to relationship to relationship until and unless you invest in community. And that's the way it's always been. So there are a couple of things I want to leave you with as we talk about moving from brokenness to community. And these aren't the only important things, but they are very important things that get missed a lot of the time. So if you want to be the kind of person who loses the sense of isolation and loneliness, there are a couple of things that you need to do. And the first part of that is that you need to lose the desire to be first. You cannot be in community with other people and maintain a desire to be first. And I know that that strikes at the heart of everything that we think we are, we're trying to do, or we've been taught to be. And this is the way that Vanier talks about it in his communities. He says, when you have been taught from an early age to be first, to win, and then suddenly you sense that you are being called by Jesus to go down the ladder and to share your life with those who have little culture, who are poor and marginalized, a real struggle breaks out within oneself. As I began living with people like Raphael and Philip, I began to see all the hardness of my own heart. It is painful to discover the hardness in one's own heart. They have been teaching me that behind the need for me to win, there are my own fears and anguish, the fear of being devalued or pushed aside, the fear of opening up my heart and being vulnerable or of feeling helpless in front of others in pain. There is the pain and brokenness of my own heart. So why do we struggle to be in community? It's because we don't want to deal with our own brokenness. And being in committed, deep relationship with other people means that we have to deal with our own brokenness because they will reveal it in us. 
And some of the reasons that we struggle in so many relationships, dating relationships, married relationships, relationships with our children or our parents, is that the presence of those people reveals to us our own brokenness. In a world and a society that tells us that the worst thing to do is to be vulnerable and weak, and you cannot maintain a desire to be seen as strong and confident and in charge and also have community. It means confessing who it is you truly are. But for most of us, as long as the price of confession is more than the price of concealment, then we won't share ourselves with anyone. And this is what the scriptures are calling us to, a life that never has to hide, that never has to puff up, that never has to blame, never has to deny the truth of our reality. And you cannot, you will not ever be in that place as long as you feel the need and desire to always be first. And the second thing is that community is fueled by commitments. Now, if you're gonna push back on anything that I said today, this is going to be it because we have been culturally trained to believe that relationships are fueled by convenience. And most of our relationships are our relationships because they are convenient. Our kids are on the same team or we work in the same place. We have some of the same interests. But we all know, both from experience and our own hearts, that when the convenience goes away, so does the relationship. And there was never really anything more to the relationship than it just being convenient anyway. And so, so many of the people that we call ourselves in relationship with, they're not real people that we're deeply invested in. They're just around. And Vanier says that when people would want to come and volunteer at La Arte, he would tell them that you're going to have to do something that's going to press against everything you know. You're going to have to commit to being here without knowing how the relationship is going to turn out. And for you to experience community with other people, you are going to have to commit to that relationship before you know what it's going to be like. Because most of us enter in relationships kind of like Seinfeld dated. Like those of you who remember Seinfeld the TV show, like he would break up with girls because they were a close talker or a loud talker or had man hands. <laughs> For too many of us, as soon as the annoyance rubs a little thin or it's not convenient or I have to drive or they want to get together early or they want to get together late or whatever it is, we just bail. And you will never experience deep community with other people as long as you are truly just committed to the convenience of relationship with other people. Life, community, is fueled by commitments and you will have to make a commitment to other people before you know what that relationship is actually going to be like. And that's never a reason to stay in a toxic relationship. But it is the reason that most of us are in shallow relationships. And so I'm mindful 
that at the beginning of Israel's story with God, that God comes to one man and he says, I'm going to take your family and make it a community. And when Jesus comes, he begins selecting apostles and he says, you are going to be my community and you're going to create other communities. And when the writers of scripture sit down next to candlelight with their pen, what they are doing is creating an alternative community and your life will be less than God intended it to be unless you decide and determine that you have to have community. Ecclesia, let me pray for you. God, would you reveal to us the places that you have already offered us community and perhaps we haven't taken you up on the offer? That you would draw people to us um, who are committed to walking with us over a lifetime through the tensions and ups and downs and the heartache and all of the things that just come with living amongst and with other people. And God, that you would give us the bravery to offer our brokenness to the world around us, to be the kind of people who live without fear and without secrets so that we can become all of who you created us to be. And we ask this through the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.